You may be seated. Life is full of the unexpected, right? In fact, the old cliche is the only thing you can count on is change. Right? So we, we head out with well-set plans, and then things kind of mess them up most, uh, most every day. Now, that's not being a pessimist. That's just being reality. And it happened just this morning. It's a very interesting uh, drive up here. Uh, so those of you who don't know, I'm serving in the interim pastor role, kind of helping uh, SOC transition from, uh, until the, a new pastor comes on board, and that process is, is ongoing. Uh, so I live in Highlands Ranch and then drive up here on Sunday mornings and Tuesday nights uh, for our church services. And, and, uh, and that, that plays out in all kinds of ways, and one of them is I'm going to Find the music stand. All right. There we go. And this morning, I mean, my normal routine on Sunday mornings is um, I get up early and uh, have some breakfast and drink my coffee and then pray and look over notes and kind of just leisurely get ready to come on up here and leave in time to have plenty of time to get here and not panic anybody in the church, right? Uh, where is he? He's not going to be here. And, and this morning, the, the normal routine was thrown out of whack because I, I take 225 up and then get off on the uh, 12th the 17th place and then come across and up Mount View and it's a pretty easy way from my house. Um, but this morning I get there to the, that exit and to where the, the railroad crossings are and they were just stuck down. And, and out all these cars came behind me and so we couldn't go anywhere. And then the truck shows up to fix it but nothing was happening so we're just, we're just sitting there. And I keep looking at my watch it's like, okay, I've, I've been there in 15 minutes, that's fine, that's right when we start. And then it's, you know, and then it's like, okay, and eventually enough cars are getting frustrated they started, you know, turning around, and eventually I could maneuver my way out and turn around and then come up Colfax and get here, right at, like, the little countdown at the beginning. I think I had, like, 20 seconds left on it. So, so for my own sake, I was a little panicked this morning, but it's just the nature of no matter what we plan or expect, it doesn't always work out that way. And we all have examples of that. I was wondering... If we, if, if we could define Christmas, so we're in the middle of the Christmas season, our, our series we're doing is called Getting Through the Wrappings, right? Last week we looked at God's panoramic view of Christmas and all of life through the book of, uh, first, beginning of the, of the book of John. And I started wondering though, as we think about Christmas time and all the images that are out there, it, could we, what kind of definition could we come up of Christmas if all we had was Christmas cards? Yeah, I mean, what's on the front of Christmas cards? I mean, pretty pictures of trees and, and lots of ornaments are usually shown. We have elves, we have Santa, we have decorations. Sometimes it's just a, a graphic thing of colors that, that look really cool. Sometimes it's uh, uh, animals are present a lot on Christmas cards, like especially things like squirrels. Nothing says Christmas like that. And even if we get to ones that are generally religious in nature, and I think there are fewer and fewer of those, we, we see a picture of the family, Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. And, and if we ever saw people like that in real life, we would probably be shocked because they have like gold foil around their heads, you know, and halos and they glow and they radiate goodness and peace and tranquility. But, but if I read the Gospels about what Christmas is about and what, what God was up to in that moment in history, it's anything but calm and tranquil. And, and even though the angel said, peace on earth, goodwill to men, it's like, this is a story of disruption. This is a story where, where everything was thrown out of whack. And, and it started with Gabriel, the angel, coming to Mary. We're going to read a passage today. And, and my goal in this, these next few weeks, including Christmas Eve, is that we would, we would try to look and say, so what do we learn from the Christmas story, not just from the historical nature, the, the historical coming of Jesus, which is an amazing story, but, but what do we learn from these, these characters that were living it out? What, what are we going to learn from them? And what are we going to learn from their response 
to this. And how did that impact the world, their, their response? There are things for us to learn from the characters who were involved in this. And we're going to look first at Mary this morning in a passage found in Luke chapter 1, really well-known passage, probably have heard it every year this time of year in church. Anybody ever heard a Christmas sermon? Yes, I see those hands. So, so in reality, we could probably just go around the room and start here and everybody give like a sentence. And we'd eventually tell the Christmas story. And we would probably get it pretty right. It would be a combination of this one from Luke and, and the one from Matthew. And we'd say, that's the Christmas story. That's the historic story of Jesus coming to this earth. And it's an amazing story. But, but let's kind of figure out more for the implications beyond the historic piece. It says, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. And just as an aside, if we, if we think back to uh, what the first story in Luke would be, it was the story of the angel Gabriel coming and basically telling Mary's aunt, Elizabeth, and her uncle Zechariah that she was going to have a baby. And they were really old. And so this is another miraculous birth. And that baby was born and became John the Baptist. Okay? So when it says in the sixth month, it's not talking about a sixth month of the year. It's talking about the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy with John the Baptist, okay? In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of the of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she was said to be barren as in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. So first, as we look at this passage, I want us to kind of go over what are the basics for understanding this passage, aside from the historic piece of Jesus. The announcement of Jesus, and he is going to be born, and, and we know the full story. We've, we've heard Christmas sermons. We, we sing the Christmas carols. We know the story. It's why we celebrate Christmas. So I am assuming uh, that we are, we are here today because we, we believe, believe to a degree that that actually happened in history. But, but what are the basics? If we're going to try to rustle through, what is it we learn through Mary? What, what is it about this passage that implicates us today? What do, we, what do we need to understand? So the basic understanding things in this, I think, first, we need to understand that God goes to great lengths to identify Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a young girl, a virgin, pledged to be married to Joseph, who we know is a carpenter. All of that states that this is just an ordinary person in a very ordinary place. It says that they went to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, and, and if we don't know that culture, we don't know that Nazareth was, you know, quite a ways north of the capital uh, it was kind of, if we were looking at more of an elitist view of our country, flyover territory. This was drive-by territory. This, is, this was the other side of the tracks. This was, this was Nazareth. It was a know-nothing town in the middle of nowhere. In fact, if we remember later enjoying people to follow him, and it, was a, it was a place with a reputation. Maybe 1,500, 1,600 people lived there at the time. But it, it was nothing. No, nobody thought anything of Nazareth or of Galilee. 
the larger region. Nothing good came from there. And so we see right off that, that God is choosing a very different place and way of engaging the world. And even that is just so counter to we, what we think or what we've witnessed in our life of how people of importance, uh, celebrities, politicians, religious leaders in our culture, how they show up. And I, I mean, there were several years ago, Laura and I lived in a place kind of near uh, Cherry Creek uh, Reservoir area. And this was back, oh, way back in the early 90s when the, um, the Pope was coming to visit. And, and if you remember all the plans that went into that for, for a person, a significant religious leader, but a man to, to come to town. I mean, we had to have a special pass to be able to get into our neighborhood because of all the logistics of what was going to go on for this person to get to the next meeting for all the throngs of people that were going to follow. Or, or I remember another time we lived near, uh, it was a high school in Denver, and, and there was going to be a presidential visit to that high school. And the same thing, we couldn't go on any of the streets anywhere near because this man was coming to visit. Or you think about the, the hubbub that happens when, when a celebrity or somebody famous is in town. Everybody gets really caught up in it, right? Well, th- this is Jesus, who, who we know is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. And yet, God is intentional in saying he's going to show up in a place nobody even cares about. In fact, hardly anybody's going to be there. We, we also know just the, the state of, of who Mary was. She was somebody of no status. She was a young girl, anywhere between like the ages of 12 and 15. That's, that's scandalous. That's how the world is going to be changed through, through this young girl. That, that word virgin here means two things. One, it talks about an age. It, it's, it's the status and culture of a young girl who's 12 or 14 years old. And it's the status of somebody who has, who has lived their life and is sexually chaste. Right? They, they are pure in that regard. And it covers both of those elements. And that's who Jesus came to. He went to great lengths to identify with the ordinary. In fact, if we were to look in Scripture, we see that that's the way God has always worked throughout time. If we were to look in the book of 1 Corinthians, and you don't have to turn to it, I'll read it to you in the first chapter, Paul is talking to people in that church. He says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's always been as how God has worked. Through people who are ordinary, who are simple, not held up in esteem by the world. God goes to great lengths to identify with the ordinary. We also need to understand in this passage that God calls those who don't expect it. I think about Mary. Right? Here's this girl, so let's say she's 14 years old. All right? and, and she's engaged to Joseph, who's a carpenter. And they live in this, this little town in the middle of nowhere. And, and it says that, that she was a virgin. We talked about this as somebody who's, who it's an age category, but it's also the, the status she was in her purity. This, this signifies in that culture that she had done things the right way, according to the town standards and their, their cultural mores. She had done the right things, lived the upright life, and she's about to get married. And in that town, a marriage is a big deal. 
right? She's going to marry Joseph, and an engagement at that time was probably at least a year of betrothal before a marriage. So this is a, a long process. And, and through that process, and it may have been a, a pre-selected, or at that time, this is a person. This is now the person of her dreams. This is the love of her life. I'm about to get married. I'm about to enter into the predictable life I've always wanted. The, the wedding will be a great community event. We're, we're going to be helped. It's going to be my day, Right? And this angel shows up out of nowhere. He says, Mary, you, you found favor with God and, and you're going to have a baby. And this baby is going to be the savior of all. This one is going to be in David's line. This is the one that's been promised. This is the one that's going to reign. His kingdom will never end. Amen. This is amazing. And she says, you know I'm a virgin, right? How, how can this be? She, she didn't expect this. this. This came out of nowhere. This wasn't within her well-laid plans and her dreams for her life. This was, this was not what was expected. But, but in this context, we see that, that God often calls those who don't expect it and says, here's what's going to happen. We also have to understand in this passage that being highly favored is a statement about God's grace, not a statement about Mary's merit. Right? This is not a scenario that I think has too often been portrayed, that God looked throughout the universe, across the entire world, and said, who is the one that's most special, the one who's, who's most ready to do this process, who's, who's accomplished great things, who's absolutely pure, who's absolutely honest, and I'm going to pick that person to give birth to my son. That's, that's not what this is about. Because God identifies with the ordinary. And when it says, you have found favor with God, that is an expression of his grace, not something, I found the one who raised up to the right standard. It's, it's not that. It's like, here's this simple person in this nothing part of town, and that's how I'm going to show my grace to everyone. It's through this very simple, unexpected place. What I find interesting in, in when he says, you, were, you found favor with God, right? And it says her response was she was troubled, greatly troubled. In fact, this is the only time in the, all of the New Testament that phrase is used. This was not a, a moment of, well, tell me more. This was, what kind of greeting is this? I, this, is, this is baffling, it's troubling, it's bringing anxiety. That, that's what this was about. This was, this was bothering her deeply. That, that this angel would come and greet me this way and say, I'm highly favored. And we also have to remember that as a devout Jewish girl, she understood history of God's chosen people who were highly favored. And we have other characters in that she would have known about that said they found favor with God, people like Noah and Moses and Abraham and God's chosen people. They were his chosen people then, they're still his chosen people. And, and that has not meant a life of great ease and peace and everything has gone great. Saying you are highly favored, she wouldn't have heard that as this is awesome. This means everything's going to be perfect. perfect. It's like... No, we're, we're part of God's chosen people and we are favored by God, but we have gone through incredible suffering. We have been ridiculed. We've been oppressed. Moses was found favor with God and he had to do incredibly difficult things. Abraham was favored by God and his life was tipped upside down. What's going to happen to me as one who's highly favored? Those, I'm sure those kinds of questions were running through her head. This 14-year-old girl found favor with God. Now, now, I have a daughter, and when Jenna was about 12 or 14, I, 
This whole idea of you're going to give birth, you're going to have this kind of responsibility for the Savior of the world. You can't even remember where you put your bike after school. All right. So that whole concept in our minds of, of, of looking at Mary, this young girl, and what she was being asked to do, and, and what we know was our experience. This is radical. This is crazy. She was found in favored by God. I am going to pour out grace on and through you. Hold on to that. Another way of saying that is Mary was chosen because she was the most ordinary, not because she was the most deserving. She was in this place where God was ready to do something amazing. We also understand that Mary was not naive about what this would mean to her life. I mean, she made this statement, I am the Lord's servant, may it be to me as you have said. Which is a profound statement we'll talk about a little bit more later. But this wasn't like, okay, cool. She'd already known, she knew something about what it means to be highly favored by God. And when God says, you are favored by me, what what did that mean in people's lives? What did that mean in the lives of his chosen people? But, But she was, you know, 14 years old. She, she was ready for the most amazing day of her life. And this angel says, things are going to change. And that's not for you to worry about. God, God will handle that. But you're going to give birth to this one who is, who is the radiant one, who is the king of all kings, who is the Messiah and the Savior, and his king will reign forever. In the back of her mind, you know she's thinking, I, I've seen what happens to young girls. I'm going to step into that world. Joseph is going to have to stand between me and a crowd that will be angry because by law and culture, they, they, could, they could execute a young girl who gets pregnant outside of marriage. This is the life she, she had to know she was stepping into. The special day of my life, it was going to be the center of attention. The whole town was going to cheer. They don't, they don't cheer for young girls who are pregnant without being married. She couldn't have been naive about what this meant because she knew what the culture was like. And yet she said, may it be to me as you have said. And that meant incredible costs that she didn't fully know yet. But, but as we know the whole story, we, we know there were incredible things that she had to endure. And I mean, initially when Joseph, in, in, the, in the book of Matthew, has the same story told to him, and he originally was saying when he found out from Mary what was going on, he, because he was a, an honorable man, he was going to divorce her privately instead of publicly. But then the angel appeared to him and said, no, this is something God is doing. And so basically he stepped into this reality as well. And it's an amazing story. This is disruption. This isn't cuddly, warm, New England fireside story. This is disruptive. This is challenging the status quo. This is messing up with how you thought your life was going to go. And I'm sure it was this mixture of joy and trepidation. I found favor with God. God is going to do something amazing through me. I do not understand it all yet. Boy, but this is going to be hard. Both of those were going on. May it be to me as you have said. So when we understand kind of these five things about this passage, God goes to great lengths to identify with the ordinary. He, he calls those who don't expect it. Understanding that being favored by God is a statement about God's grace, not Mary's merit. She was chosen because she was the most ordinary, not the most deserving, and, and she wasn't naive about what this would mean. So, so we see these things about Mary and this story and, and her response, and then we ask ourselves, well, well, what can we learn from Mary yeah, that, that, that plays out in our life? 
right? When, this is how Mary responded when God came calling on her life. How, how do we respond when God comes calling in our life? Well, I think first off, we, we need to accept Jesus on his terms, regardless of the personal cost. He was asking something challenging. And he said, nothing is impossible with God. That was an amazing statement. Nothing is impossible with God, but we, she accepted Jesus on his terms without counting the cost. And, and that's a tough place to be. Because every decision and every action and every response has, has some cost. But she said, everything that, that you've said is true. I am going to bank on what you said this is about. I am seeing that this is true and this promise is true. And if that means I have to endure this, may it be to me as you have said. She, she didn't count the cost. And that was that's an amazing statement, something we need to learn in our own lives. I think we also learn in the implication, it's okay to question God. Right? He comes and says, guess what? This amazing thing is going to happen. It's like, you know I'm a virgin, right? You, you know there are some things about me that don't quite fit with what you're saying is going to happen. And, and she was willing to, to question God, and that's okay. It's, it's okay to ask questions that way. I don't think she was making an excuse. I think she was stating facts and saying, how is this going to be? Because she didn't say what was going to happen wouldn't happen. She basically said, well, how will this be? How will this take place? She wanted some kind of clarity. She asked a clarifying question. How will this take place since I'm a virgin? This is very different than the, the story earlier in Luke when, when Zechariah was met by God and kind of questioned God, saying, you know, we're really old. It's impossible for us to have a baby at this age. And, and basically, the, that was more of an excuse. And it says that the angel of God made Zechariah mute. He couldn't say anything until after the baby was born. We have other stories of like, like Moses, who was highly favored by God. And Moses said, you're going to be the one that's going to free my people. Right? And, and Moses made an excuse. You know, I really am not a good speaker. And so I'm, I'm going to do horribly in front of Pharaoh. Excuse. I don't want to do it. And so God, God found a way to get around it. He, instead of saying, well, I'll trust God in the process. It's like, eh. So, so God provided his brother Aaron to go and speak for him. We have all kinds of examples of that, and we have, I think, all kinds of examples in our own life when God comes calling, and we can easily make excuses. I, I put off and made excuse about being a pastor for a long, long time. Uh, and, and partly it was because when I was in, when I was in high school, um, and, and I played baseball, I was a catcher, and there was a home plate play. I got a forearm in my throat as I was tagging a guy out, and he was out, but so was I. And didn't drop the ball, so, I mean, in the moment, that was the glory but I also couldn't talk because it had a. And at that point in my life, where I was about 17 years old, my, my dream at that point was to be a singer or an actor. This very high tenor voice, strong voice, and, and loved to perform. We did all kinds of community theater and different kinds of things. That's what I wanted to do. And, and now I get talk. And over time, I think miraculously, my voice was healed, but never fully. There was always this little spot in the middle of my vocal cord that was weak, and where I should have had a strong voice, that was the weakest. And it, and it impacted my range. I was no longer a real high tenor. I was kind of more of a baritone with kind of a weak voice. And I always joke that I think I sound like a cartoon character, not like with a boom. Pastors and preachers have big voices. Like, hi, everybody. Love Jesus. You know, I just kind of have this, this voice. And so, so when it's this idea of, of there was this passion, though, for teaching and for music, I ended up, I swore I would, two things I would never do. I would never get a degree in music. I'd never go to seminary. Well, I have a degree in music, and I went to seminary and got an MDiv. So I did both these things I said I would never do. Why? Because I can hardly talk. 
and my voice isn't what it used to be, and I don't like the way it sounds. So God, how can you use that? So I, I, but, but through life, those things changed, and, and I fell in love with teaching, and I can stand up here before you and speak. But in my head, I hear what it should sound like, not what I hear coming out. But, but, but God can use that. And it's okay to question God and say, I, I don't know why I'm going down this path when this is what I said I would never do. Why did this happen to my voice and why questions are never answered? But, but it's who is with us in the middle of life. And how does God bring good things out of things that were horrible? It's okay to question God. And, and, and related to that is we need to follow Christ even if we feel unqualified or unusable. Mary saw herself absolutely unqualified. Right? I mean, she, she was a virgin. She said that. How, how can I have a baby if I'm sexually pure? I'm not sexually active. That can't happen. That's a physical impossibility. But also that idea of virgin as a, a category of your role in society, which is you're a 12 to 14-year-old girl. We've talked before about that culture and that society and who had status and who didn't. And, and little children were basically nothing. And, and young girls, yeah, they were right there. Great things can't happen through a 12-year-old girl. I'm not qualified for this. In fact, if she were looking at, somebody were comparing the job description for giving birth to Messiah and Mary, they would never put the two together. A lot, a lot of you know that uh, I, I just finished up a transitional executive director job at a nonprofit, a long consulting gig, and so uh, that just concluded, and so I'm, I'm looking again for either more consulting opportunities or a permanent position. So I read a lot of job descriptions, right? And you look at what are the, the required qualifications, what are the preferred qualifications, and if Mary was sitting down with somebody and saying, so we, we're looking for somebody to give birth to the savior of the world. Tell me about yourself. Where are you from? From Nazareth. Ooh. Yeah, we're looking for somebody that's like, has connections with the the seat of power and economics and and can really network well and knows who's who and can make some difference. Nazareth? Yeah, I don't know. So so, uh, tell me about your financial situation. Well, well, I said I'm from Nazareth. My, my, My fiance is a carpenter. Yeah, that's, hmm, I don't think you're really quite what we're looking for. So, so tell me about, but tell me about your family situation. Well, I'm currently pregnant. Um, Joseph's not the father. Well, who is? God. You know, I'm going to give you a number of a counselor. Um, thank you for very much for applying. I, I, she just didn't fit what the qualifications were. She, she absolutely couldn't. And, and, and we see ourselves that way. I'm unusable. I, I, I'm unqualified. You, 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 you think I should, I should move into this role in, in churches and, and preach the word of God or, or, or lead worship things? Those are my limitations. I'm a firm believer that it's as important to understand our limitations as to understand. This happens to me. One of the things I think we also learn is that we can be confident that God works with us to accomplish what he has called us to do. With God, nothing is impossible. And, and, and to back that up, Gabriel says, like your aunt Elizabeth, who's, who's pretty old, she's pregnant. She's six months pregnant. And, and nobody ever thought statement. And one of the things in, in the Christmas story that I think we, we fail to see is how God shows up with people. Because we tend to paint the whole picture from the miraculous. And it was. God became flesh. Right? That, that, that's amazing. We talked about that a lot last week. The, the God of the universe became flesh and, and moved into the neighborhood. As we said, he, he, 
He's among us. He dwelt among us. That, that is something miraculous. The fact that God could become man, we, we can't even comprehend that. But what I think we sometimes miss is how God interacted with the people. And basically, as he said to Mary, if we think about this from the realm of what is our role and how God is at work, he comes to Mary and says, here's amazing news. Gabriel says, this is what God is up to. It's something that has never been seen before. The Son of God is going to come to this earth. He is going to be born. He will establish a kingdom that will never end. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. And guess what? He's going to start out in your womb. This reminds me so much of the passage in Philippians chapter 2 where it talks about Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or hung onto or used for his advantage, but he became nothing. He emptied himself. He humbled himself right, and became a man. Jesus didn't just show up on the scene. This was not a Star Trek thing where this adult Jesus beamed down and all of a sudden there's a new guy in town. Have you seen the new guy? Where did he come from? No, God changed the world and he's going to do this in the absolute most vulnerable way imaginable. Is there anything more vulnerable than a little infant? And so God is saying to Mary and to Joseph, I'm going to change the world. I'm doing something that is so amazing that's going to change everything. And it's going to save people. And it's going to turn the whole understanding of who I am upside down. And it starts out with you as his parents. I need you. I need you, Mary and Joseph, to give birth to this child. I need you to make sure that he gets fed every day. I need to make sure that he doesn't get sick. I need you to protect him from those things in this world that are going to try to, to, to drown him out. I need you to do all those things. That's your responsibility is to care for my son. That, that, that's a crazy thought. God says, I'm going to change the whole world in ways people could never even imagine and it's the most glorious thing possible and you have a role to play in that. I need you to raise my son. Wow. Is there anything more vulnerable? Is there anything more shocking? See, that's how God chose to do it. And basically what he's saying is, I am with you in this. I have asked you to do this. I am with you in this. And Mary's response was, after rustling through everything else, it's like, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. This was not a statement of resignation. It's like, okay, do your thing. Nor was it a statement of, okay, I'll get right on that virgin birth thing. Let me see if I can figure that out. No, no, it was, it was God is going to make all these amazing things happen, but he wants you actively to be engaged in it with intentionality. Uh, Francis Schaeffer uses a great term when he talks about this, this passage, and he calls it active passivity. May it be to me as you have said, but I am your servant. There's an intentionality of growing in God, fully knowing that he's the one who makes things happen. The savior of the universe is going to be born through this woman, but you have a responsibility as his mom to do the mom things and the dad things actively, intentionally, but knowing that I am the one that is guiding and guarding and empowering. Both of those exist. So, so the implication for this, for us, I believe, is that God uses simple, ordinary people to accomplish them. The, the passage towards the end of the book of John, where Jesus is, is with his disciples, and he, and he makes this great prayer, right? He says, God, I pray that, that, that they would be one like you and I are one, right? That they would do even greater things than I have done. 
That's a radical statement. It's living out for all of us what we see happen with Mary. God is the one that's doing the miraculous biblical teachings that go on about there that says God doesn't need us. And in of himself, he is complete, but, but his actions and his work and his engagement is dependent on us being obedient. That, that's the story of Scripture. We, we've been called to that, but not in our own strength, but in his strength. This is a crazy call, and, and Mary is such a profound example. When God came calling in her life, she said, May it be to me as you have said. And now I will obviously acknowledge that I don't think any of us in this room have had Gabriel come flying into our house and giving us some very specific crazy idea to do. And so our story is different than Mary's. But we've all, we're all called. We're all called throughout Scripture to, to be the people God has made us to be. We're all called to care for his body. We're all called to care for and love the world around us. We are all called to proclaim who he is. We're all called to that. And when God comes calling in our lives, he says, I'm going to work with you to do the miraculous. And we say, where does that play out in my life? And there are opportunities and situations every single day, probably every minute of every day, to respond and allow God to work through us and in us to accomplish the miraculous. That's our call. And God brings that call to us every day. And through prayer, we open ourselves up to it. Mary and Joseph cared for the literal body of God's son, Jesus. We are called to care for his spiritual body, all those who know Christ. And beyond that, all who live in creation, all who are made in the image of God, we are called to care and love for those people. That's our call. How do, how do we do that? How do we live that out? When we can easily say, I'm not qualified there's too much cost. We question the point of making excuses. And we don't really trust that God is going to work with us. But through Mary, we learn all those things. She's a profound example. Will we follow her example this Christmas season? <laughs>